Hello and welcome to the Video Gamer UK podcast, the only podcast that occasionally introduces itself with the theme from Inspector Gadget. I hope that's true. Um, I expect it is. Um, anyway, what have you guys been playing this week? What? I've been playing... You know what? This is actually an interesting point. It's been it's a quiet month, right? And we, we mentioned this in one of the videos. Quiet month it for consoles. It hasn't been... A, yeah, I was going to say. You, you head over to the PC and there's some pretty cool stuff going on. It's mental, Very honestly. Good week, it's so one of these things where I was kind of uh, poking fun at it on Twitter and the fact that only <laughs> games media websites are currently going, oh, Don't Starve is excellent. Really good game. Yeah. Don't Starve. And it's like, it's all right. I mean, it's, it's not bad. Mm-hmm. It's a good game. I remember playing it on... Like the Google Chrome App Store when it like, yeah. was first released. I mean, it's obviously improved a lot oh, now course, yeah. because it's kind of finished. But um, it's a game that's been out on PC for a long time and it's widely considered as being pretty good. And yet on the PC... Great move for them bringing it out on the PlayStation 4 right oh, now. Oh, man. They, for that reason alone. They've probably just got, they've got a second wave of PR. But yeah. it's kind of it's funny how traditional games media um, often does ignore the PC sometimes. And this isn't me being like, oh, PC's better, but... It is quite telling at the moment because there's so many amazing PC games this mm-hmm. week and everyone's sort of sitting on their hands going, where are the games? It's like, they're here. They're, they're amongst like, us. They're amongst <laughs> us. So tell us what you've been playing, Chris. Uh, well, we started off with Nidhug, Nidhog, Nidhug. The, it's, it's, We've come to the conclusion no one knows how to pronounce that. <laughs> no, not even the Scandinavians can uh, pronounce but we know what it is, right? Yes, it's a competitive fencing game, but it's really colourful and you can throw swords at each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think when you describe it as a like a fencing game, I think that really undersells it a little bit though, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, to be it's fair. It's Bushido Blade meets Prince of Persia. That's that, the, that does sound really yeah. <laughs> Against some weird kind of barbarian style surreal backdrop yeah, of I my think dreams. Yeah, I think it's like Bushido Blade meets Prince of Persia in a, a club whilst on psychedelic oh, so drugs. Good. Really. It's so good. And it's I was saying to Bratz, it's the best Star Wars game that's never been made. Although someone is gonna mod that, put Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker in it, and the backgrounds change to the various movies, and George would be like yeah, oh yeah, maybe we shouldn't have made all Where's those adventure Jar-Jar, games though? when really the movies are about sword fighting and shit. <laughs> I know, it's bloody brilliant. Yeah. Do I, you, sorry, do you remember that arcade Star Wars game though where... Every, Star Wars it, Arcade. Was it called that? Was it, was it, was it seriously called? Oh, right, I believe it was. Different where, times. The joystick where yeah. you had that lightsaber battle with Darth Vader. <laughs> That's that, where they that used, yes. really used to spend all of a minute in a meeting. <laughs> what should yeah. we call it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Star Wars Arcade, yeah. Done. No, but I, when I watched you guys play, I love that moment where you said, where Chris was explaining the game. He said, well, basically, I've got to go left, you've got to go right, and then you both end up on the sides you need to go. You both had <laughs> that brief pause where you went, oh, I'm oh go. you both just... No, 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 and then they, he chased you. Well, you, you have to. You can't move, progress in your direction unless you, you kill the kill. person. So it, ah, it switches right. over. So it does stop you from doing that. Mm. Um, and and that's like it is. That is basically. It's very much like fencing because the way that fencing works is that you get um, almost like right to attack first. It's like it's kind of a weird system where it's it, it might look like just people trying to swing swords at each other, but in fencing, it's like you. It's your go to attack first, right. which means you attack and then they get the chance to deflect and then counter. Mm. But it means if it's not your go to, to lunge first, to attack, go at them, then you can't. And if you do, you don't get a point for it. Yeah, I think that's true anyway. That's, that's, that sounds legit. There's lots of like, going back and forth, like <laughs> pushing your opponent back, and that happens in um, Nidhogg. Like, the, the games are, are, are kind of weird in terms of length because we, we've had games that have lasted... 20 seconds or something. 20 yeah. seconds or 10 minutes. Like, it's really easy to, to go either way with that, depending on how... How well you start. It is spectacular. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just so much fun. And uh, one of the things I really like about it, because um, 
I, I played it first just so I could introduce you um, to the game in the video. Like, I've introduced a few people to it in the office now, and every single time I, I walk through the, the instructions, uh, the controls, how to play it, and every time, like, midway through, right, so you press up to change your stance, you kill me. Like, you did it in the yeah. video. <laughs> Steve did it when I showed him. Simon did it. Like, it's because there's two buttons. The, the controls are, like, immediately obvious, and it, it, it's... It's nice that there isn't. There doesn't appear to be a huge gap between new players and and, and players that have had a few games beforehand. Yeah, which makes it really really good for like a party game or or just like you know, mm. within an office. There's no there's no difficult moves, and I think it, the, the guy aimed for it to be kind of a sports style fighting game, um, which I think is ambitious. But you know, I think there's probably a case for it. It seems to be just it handles really nicely. You always feel like you're in complete control. Yeah, you do. But there's never no complexity. It's not like in Street Fighter or something. Where it's like, well, you need yeah, to do this. Yeah, it's not. This, it's this, not this, about this. combos and stuff. But you do feel like you can do smart things. Like you, yeah. you only have a few options, but if you use them in intelligent ways, like it makes you feel great whilst you're playing it. And yeah, yeah. and that that's a, always a good sign. It's simple, but it's not simplistic. I think is the best way. Like when all the after a while start. Like cracking out the dive kicks and the neck breaks and the rolling sword throws and, and you're yeah. like, and it all just it's so natural the way that comes to you. I remember my first game with Braz, which I won obviously. <laughs> Braz is terrible, <laughs> but uh, oh, I, I was so just throwing the sword all the time because I thought you know, and in the end it was just batting it away. I was like, it, okay, and it's just really natural evolution in your playing style, which is helped by the stages where some will have doors where you have to go through so you can't just run and jump over some have windows you can then break through if you know that man when i first realized you could jump yeah. through that to be honest i i can really relate the long grass with, with oh, long grass is awesome yeah i've got i've got a great tactic for that we're going to do a video later in the week mm. where we have a little tournament uh, within the office I've got, I've got a cool tactic coming but yeah i feel like i can relate with um olympic fences in the fact that it must be just. It must be very tempting that's to just chuck line. your sword at the other person like, all yeah. the time because that's. It's so hard not to do that in it. I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to do that. Yeah, yeah and it's. It, it you can sometimes wired. be a terrible Actually, idea. no. Like I don't think you ever would get that because I mean I used to fence and. Um, it, I, and you thing, never at any point no. wanted to go. You know what? I'm going to just chuck this no, sword no, no, at his no, head. No, no, no. Because wired the thing you the sword as yeah. well in fencing. Um, yeah, in professional beat. fencing. Yeah, you are wired. It's like a weak controller. So yeah, because you need to have electricity coming through it. So when you hit the other person, you give them a shock. No, it's it's so you can register the hit on their jacket because yeah. the jackets are all like got a, a thin metal kind of um, thread through them. So you can yeah, anyway. Anyway, um, the, the yeah, thing so about good. fencing that you people don't really appreciate, which is quite interesting, I think, is that you'd think that the sword is just something that you you think, well, I've got to hit them with my sword. But actually, when you're fencing, it's kind of constantly terrifying, and your sword more than that represents your only protection against their sword mm-hmm. so the idea of ever letting go of it or like throw, no like because it's actually when you've got somebody trying to hit you with a sword it's actually really quite intense and frightening and you more than anything you are aware that you need yours to stop that from yeah. happening what well, well, if the other person's just won they've got a smug grin on the face they turn around to walk away and you think you know what i could i could throw this at the back of his head uh, no you probably you probably still would try and just stab them just go it. for the stab okay, the, thing about, the thing about fencing you get the hang of is you realize that at any point your best attack can just suddenly be horrendously deflected and you could be got Wide open, sure. um, but fencing is crazy actually kind of if people are doing it properly it kind of it hurts <laughs> okay. even the protection and the rubber nibs Getting hit with a strong hit at close range, it, it it does bruise you. And weirdly, like even though you've got these metal masks on, um, you'd think it's that psychology that doesn't make sense thing. Of you'd think uh, you're, that, worried, you're worried about your face. Yeah, you're really worried about your yeah. face. Like even though you know that you've got like, there's no way really that they're going to get through that. Mm. Even if they're sort of snaps, and I mean there is a chance it could happen, but you know you're very very well protected. But mm. still, 
Um, the thing you never really get the sense of when you watch people fencing, especially amateurs, is because you can't see their face through the metal gauze. It almost gives it a sense of this being like amazing control calm when actually most of the time people underneath those things <laughs> ah! are going, <laughs> you're breathing heavily, yeah. you're hot because the gear is really hot and it's just intense. It's just sweat, intensity, fear. It's great fun. If you ever get a chance to do it, I'd really recommend mm. doing it. Um, it's also the most exhausting sport in the world. Um, just because you're constantly tensing and moving and oh yeah I remember watching the world championships on one of the sports channels and it was really intense especially when the score gets is close going into the last few minutes as well and then like you say there are those moments where the guy training desperately wants to get that last point yeah yeah it gets intense yeah and actually there is a lot to be psyching people out because when people start charging at you and getting Mm. angry that's when they're easiest to beat because it's a game it's a it's a sport of like real subtlety and Mm. subtle movements and Mm. it's kind of fascinating i tapped out when we got into saber though because i started off with like the basic level which is a foil you go foil saber and epee right and there's different rules for each of the type of sword and foil's kind of fun but saber i don't know i was quite young i was like 14 i was doing it with people like 17 and with saber you score a point by hitting any part of the body, um, as in like the main part of your chest, right. with any part of the sword, which means literally just like slicing and yeah. hitting on the side. And when you get thwacked with the side of a metal blade and you're a kid and the other person is almost <laughs> an adult, <laughs> fuck, it really, really hurts. Uh, but anyway, Nidhogg. Yeah, Nidhogg's good. That's uh, <laughs> a really mental aside, but screw it. Yeah, um, there, no, there's, there are a lot of comparisons to be made to that and it's just, it's just very... It's it reminds me a lot of fencing of best, as well. You know, like, local competitive multiplayer games we've had in the office since oh, yeah. Mount Your Friends. I think probably. it is. I mean, it is my favourite competitive game since Mount Your Friends. It's just so much fun. You immediately know what it is. And I think I'm, I'm kind of saddened by the price point, if mm-hmm. I'm honest, because I think that it's like eight quid if you buy two copies. So you buy one for you and one for a friend. I don't think, I don't think you should buy one for you and your friend, though, because I've played the online stuff and at the moment it's, it's laggy and a little bit unpredictable. It, it, you should only really play that game, in my opinion, for the local stuff at the moment. I'd say so. I mean, actually, you know, the pacing of it is incredible as well. Like, it's one of these games that is a victim of, at the moment, video um, is an issue with games and the fact that you've got 1080p on YouTube and stuff, but 60 frames a second is still something that nowhere's mm-hmm. really nailing. A few sites are doing it, but uh, it's not, like, everywhere at the moment. And it's a real shame because that game in 60 frames per second it just runs it's so fast and so smooth yeah, and it has to be for, for um, how the game how the, like the mechanics yeah. work it, you kind of don't really get, a, really get a sense of, of how it looks and feels until you see it running in motion it's beautiful mm. um, but yeah no I definitely it seems steep but it's a sort of game where if, you have, if you're having a, like a, a social gathering or if you're brave enough to have this sort of thing on the background as a party then it's it's not insane, mm-hmm. and I mean you know I'm not somebody who likes to crack out games at parties because usually um, it could be a bit antisocial. But that one is that that's a game that just makes people laugh out loud and shout sport, at each other. Really. Yeah. It's yeah. a spectator sport, and also it's um, it's visually really cool. It's yeah, the sort yeah, of thing yeah. I can imagine having a projector at a party, just projecting it onto wall, and even as a kind of visual thing, mm. it's pretty cool to look at. But then you could say like. As we've all been talking about now, you talk about it with a group of friends. They say, oh, "I'm interested in getting," and you could just say, "Well, four pound split. We, yeah. we both get yeah, it." Yeah. Another well, way to do I, it I instead of worrying about the yeah. online. Yeah, because if as a as a game for yourself as a single person, it is it's a little bit expensive, and you yeah. won't mm. get as much from it. If, but if you've got two pads, yeah. if, if you've got two three sixty pads, and I recommend playing it on pads rather than keyboard. Or um, yeah, I think I think they they 
showcased it with fight sticks as well. So it, fight it, sticks it will work. Yeah. Must work well with that. But I mean, um, if you've got, but I think the issue with that is, especially with anything you're playing two player together, you have to have the same control devices. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you're going to get into the well. It's not fair because mm. you know. So, so if you've got that and you've got a PC, even if you just got a mate coming around for a weekend or something, or a couple of mates, it's worth getting just because the quantity of fun you'll have with it as a co-op game is amazing. And I struggle with co-op games at the moment. Um, over Christmas, I was playing with my brother. I played a bit of um, Battle Block Theatre. All oh, right, okay, cool. But there were loads of games I wanted to play, but it's always that difficulty of, I've started so many co-op games with friends who've come over for a night, and then you just sort of, mm. you, you never finish them. Mm. And it's stuff like we started playing um, Lara Croft and the Guardians of Light, and I really liked it. But then next time we came around, we're like, oh, it was like four months later. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, should we carry on? It's like, nah. <laughs> It's kind of nice to have something where you don't feel like switching a game on to play a game with a mate is an investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can just be like, we'll play this for five minutes. And you'll, you'll have the controls nailed in 20 seconds, which is, is a big plus for that. Yeah, I'd really recommend it. It's steep, but it's, um, it's a sort of thing where if you get one really, really good night of entertainment out of it, which you will, it'll be worth the tenant, mm-hmm. I think. But who cares what I think? <laughs> The internet, Matt. The You've internet. been playing something else, though, and it's awesome. Yes, the Banner Saga, um, which is a turn-based strategy game featuring Vikings, a cool storyline, decisions that can kill off your characters that you've grown really attached to over the period of hours. It's made and by some Bioware splitters, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. I, they, the new studio is called Stoic, and they, I think they, it was founded with, uh, with this Kickstarter project in the first place. And it's just... I really, really like it. Uh, we showed it off in a video yesterday, and... Well, I'm not sure. I don't think how video well as well. No, it, it's difficult because it is quite a personal experience, particularly because I was I was about halfway into the game and I knew and cared about the characters and like I, we were rushing through some of the decisions. Which I didn't care. Can kill them. Off. I was telling you to come on to a character which turned out to be a daughter. Yeah, that so, was that was really. <laughs> I mean, I was really out of the loop. <laughs> by, the, by the way, for people that did watch that video, um, you know, there was, <laughs> you didn't come on to your daughter. No, I, I didn't. I absolutely, just need to confirm that right now. There, there was one moment where um, we. We had like a confrontation with this character who had a twitchy eye, and he just he didn't look right. He looked like he was yeah. he was planning something nasty. So I sort of egged him on to to sink an axe into his chest, mm-hmm. and he did. Yep, and well, and that's a completely viable option. I killed that character off. It's viable I had, option. I had no no further problems because of him, which I suspected there might be. I later went back and decided not to do that, just to see how the two different uh, you know branches of the story went, and it's really cool to realize how how misguided that decision might have been depending on what you learn later on. And so it, it's, it, it's wonderful because you, you make these decisions in the heat of the moment. I have no way, way of knowing how much damage he's going to do to my group. Yeah. And you, you have to make these really harsh decisions, these decisions that aren't black or white. Yeah, I mean, I, liked, I love that in video games. I, mm. Yeah, it, I like the way that even when you made the decision to kill this guy, the dialogue around that was really grey. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like you going, I'm going to kill you because you're evil. It was like even the character himself was saying, like, I'm not I, sure. I, I literally don't know you if you're evil like, or not. You kind of got the impression that he's like, I don't know if I'm making the right decision here, but I can't take that risk. Mm. Kill the man. Yeah, it's I, like, I, wow, that's how... Stuff would work. I still don't know which of the two decisions is right, even after seeing both of them. I'm not sure which I, I'm happier with, which is great. Um, yeah. And I was impressed by the dialogue. Yeah, the, like with the combat itself, um, I I like I liked it at the beginning, and I kind of got. Less I've heard and it less gets. Attached yeah, to it. I think it, I've heard it's it's a bit too simplistic, and maybe gets a bit repetitive. Yeah, and it, it yes, it does. And some parts of it, it it's uh, innovating and do some cool stuff. Like I love that the the strength and the health of your characters is a combined stat. So if they get injured, they'll do less damage. It's, it makes sense, and it works really well. But I, you know, we we talked about how. Um, 
it's a turn-based game. And so every time you take an action with your character, the enemy gets to take an action with one of their characters. So even if you outnumber them, even if you've got five uh, characters and they've got two, they'll still have the exact same amount of turns that you have. And it just doesn't feel right. And it feels unfair when you come into a fight and you should have an advantage that they, they still get to do all these attacks to you. And, and th- that becomes more and more of an issue the later you get into the game and the stronger enemies you meet. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I would have liked the combat to have been a little bit better, but overall it's gorgeous. It's got this... The storyline just grabbed me straight away. The and, art style is really something. Yeah. Oh, it, 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 if you, even if you aren't sure about the game, just check out some of the screenshots of it just because it, it looks really, really lovely. It's hand-drawn. It's got Vikings but in I'm, it. But I'm up for it. I mean, I think it's just the... It's not just the, the way that the art style looks. It's just the visual coding, the key of it all, you mm-hmm. know? It's like uh, all of these Viking characters all look kind of similar in a way. And I like that because it doesn't do the traditional thing of being like, these are the main characters. Yes. These are the characters that aren't as important. Maybe they'll die. You get a sense of like, especially as a newcomer, and I don't know it, I just look at all these characters and I can't tell which character is the main character. The only way I can tell is because Brat was like, oh, this one's my favourite. He's the guy who I'm sort of yeah, looking out for the most. Yeah, and, and that actually plays significantly in in the other side of it where in the the dialogue options you get to choose and the fact that characters can die your lead character the one you're controlling uh, at that time usually i i there's not gonna be a way that you're gonna be able to kill him because you need him for the story or, yeah. or her but the other characters they look very similar they could they could go in and out of the story very very le- easily and you constantly have this this feeling that characters are dispensable and um you it makes it makes the decisions harder to make because you know how impactful they can be um, there, there are a few moments in it where the slightest like uh, wrong decision and everything goes horribly wrong. Uh, one dialogue option went wrong for me, and a couple of characters that I'd had since the beginning got stabbed. Just that was it. There was, <laughs> there, it, was, I, it was a normal conversation. It didn't seem like a big plot point. I made the wrong move and lost two characters. You see, I like that. I think putting the importance on dialogue uh, in story-driven games, in terms of not just, I think it's really, really cool, and it's something that games have started doing again recently but it hasn't been done for a long time. I always remember, like, I still think it's probably my favourite game ever, but in Planescape Torment, the way that you got experience from combat and you would, like, you know, level up from killing monsters, but you'd only get little bits of experience for killing stuff. And eventually you level up, but the real experience you get from conversations. Mm. So if you have a really good conversation with a character, <laughs> you get, like, 20,000 experience compared to, like, maybe 20 or 30 or 50 experience from killing a monster. So, yeah. And sometimes this was, like, to do with forwarding the plot, but sometimes mm. it was just... You'd unlock because the idea in that was that you were an amnesiac immortal. You unlock some of your memories. Um, in the yeah, process. and it was like you talk to somebody and you'd you'd realize something and you you delve into this conversation with a stranger and you'd have a, you'd remember something about yourself. And it was this idea of like, and it kind of fit with the the plot as well. And the idea that as you remembered more about your past, you you became more powerful because it's like the yeah, idea that, that you would become better. But, I, I, um, yeah. I, I can see why why a lot of games find it difficult to um to be so brutal with the the cast they've got because often you know games will be you know developers will be investing a lot of time and money into making sure that those characters are fleshed out there's cut scenes that they're involved in yeah, if yeah. you kill them off that work is wasted it's kind of why the walking dead never really achieved the goal some people would have liked to have seen like what yeah the decisions you make are important but only temporarily important in that and that's because it, the, the amount of work that would have to go into that game would just go crazy. And you know what? I think we just need to take a step back and just accept that technologically. You know, yeah, and, and, I think... and I, to be honest, that's what Stoic have done here because yeah. because they've um, most of the dialogue isn't uh, spoken. You don't you have to read it yourself, and there isn't. It's just written. 
Um, they can afford to kill off characters without it impacting, the, without it adding a whole extra layer of work. Um, well, precisely. That's the thing is we've always, I've always wanted that to come back. I mean, Planescape Torment and Baldur's Gate 2, in my mind, are the two games which are the best at that, you know, having a huge amount of dialogue and huge dialogue trees. But they could only do that because the dialogue was just text. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of work for the writers, but obviously that was it. It yeah. was just writing. Um, whereas obviously with other stuff, if you want to actually have it fleshed out with modern aesthetics, then you have to do like what um, the Star Wars MMO did uh, by having 500,000 hours of dialogue recorded. And you know, we all, you know that flopped harder so than the donkey dick. It? You know, it's just, it was horrendous. Yeah. And I th- it's really cool to see, because for a long time I've just been going, oh, it's a shame that we're not going to get games of that narrative quality anymore because of the obsession with having to see everything. You know, I always say that in Fallout 2, I love the way that it allowed you to do so many things. You know, you could have sex with so many characters, you could be in a porn film as a fluffer, you could lose an arm wrestle with a super ogre and, <laughs> and basically spend the night being his bitch and wake up in a bed with none of your items in your inventory and it all on the floor next to the bed. And the only thing in your inventory was a ball gag, which at age 12, I, I didn't know what <laughs> a ball gag was. I thought, what is that? And I didn't really have Google back then to no, look it's probably it up. For the best. It's probably for the best. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but I love the way it used to be able to do all that just by basically having fade to black, mm. fade out of black, and then a little bit of text in the corner saying, you feel terrible. <laughs> you know? also, I like dialogues. Uh, well, I like dialogues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Narrative, narratives in games where it's not always all about you. You're not the centre of attention for points in the game. Like you say, where you're having that conversation until your characters are gone. Just, yeah, they, you know, it seems out of your control. The, the games that I tend to get bored of are the ones where you feel like you have to drive everything that happens. Yeah, when well, you can see why that happens. A lot of games want you to make, make you into the superhero because yeah. you imagine that's the most fun. But yeah, sometimes to have these characters that are just experiencing the storyline rather than being the storyline, it can be yeah. just as good. I mean, the Banner Saga does that to an extent, but eventually your characters do have a very big role in, in the... Uh, the outcome but yeah I know, I know the, the point you mean and, yeah. and it definitely it definitely does very well in that respect I, I, I just there's something it's weird I, I ever since playing XCOM last year I just I really look out for games that will just punish you for making yeah. bad decisions yeah. uh, XCOM does it in the combat rather than the dialogue but if you do something wrong you'll lose important characters that would have helped you later down the line and that's great why not if you can if you can make your game work with that idea yeah. It, it makes it more important to yeah, me anyway. Yeah, I think it's quite telling that games are getting better at doing that and the fact that I used to love Fire Emblem and I'm playing through the 3DS Fire Emblem and it's good, it's fun. But I kind of like, I realise now I don't like it as much as I used to and I think primarily because of the way that when you lose uh, units in combat, they're not out of the game because they still pop up in dialogue and cutscenes. They just don't fight for you anymore. Mm. And it's just like, it's a weird compromise. Yeah, that is, isn't it? It's like, it doesn't actually affect the game anymore. It just means you can't use them in combat, which is annoying. But then also, it doesn't feel like you've made a choice. The simplicity of the combat in XCOM means that when you, when you lose a soldier, sometimes it's a blindside thing that comes out of nowhere. Um, but often it's because you've taken a risk and it's paid off badly. Yeah. Whereas in Fire Emblem, it's just, you know, it's not like a guy pops out from nowhere and one shots you guy it's like you didn't look at that knight and notice that he had a bow and arrow which is effective against pegasus units and it's like it's just that you hadn't spent enough time being like really finickety with the details of the battlefield mm. and it's just because it's a bit too complex actually yeah you, and, and also with being a portable game there are times where you will literally just lift 
take it out of sleep mode and try and quickly run a few yeah well, well that's it i do I, you know i just yeah. i have a go and it's mm. it's funny how it's just there are some units in fire emblem that are incredibly fragile and you mm. need to be really careful what you do with them even if they seem really powerful yeah. they can just get fucked up out of nowhere mm. and it's kind of frustrating because I, a few years ago i think pre-xcom i would have um said that you know simplifying something like that would be dumbing it down mm. but i think maybe maybe i'm just getting older but i've realized now that actually simplification sometimes especially in terms of complex systems um can actually be really good mm. um but yeah. yeah it works for XCOM as well because it really like XCOM itself doesn't care about your soldiers you care about your soldiers you've given them names and decided that barry's going to wear some pink armor because that's his favorite color but the game storyline doesn't need barry to be alive and no. that's that's important it allows them to kill them off without having him turn up later on for no, a No, you're right. Scene. And Barry's death is part of your story. Exactly. Because Barry doesn't exist in a way. And it, ma- it makes it... That, that's what, why, why it works so well. You, because it can, it can just kill them off and he'll never return. There won't be some uh, you know, magical cool. rebirth later on. It's cool. I mean, as you were saying, Brett, it's kind of like... It's nice to see games getting away from the whole... Because uh, uh, the power fantasy thing, yeah. you know, the hero fantasy, because I, th- I think it is a reminder that games as a medium are still in their infancy and the fact that they can make us feel all sorts of things they can make us feel a part of all sorts of different situations and emotions and still primarily the the thing that they want to make us feel is i'm the powerful cool man with who can stop can't be stopped and ah mm. and it's like it's infamous a bit dumb been, you know? is probably the clear example that you feel you you enjoy the the gameplay of it but you feel passive ultimately and choose the blue option for the good hero ending choose red for the same mass effect as well you're you're ultimately choosing the option they dictate towards you to depend on the option you want. You're not exactly going to choose blue in one cutscene, red in another. You're simply following the path that is dictated before you. Whereas, like you say, with XCOM, you're not a character. You're you're the commander who's connecting to these characters, like Brat said, where you're choosing to make that connection. You're, the game is not bestowing that upon you. It's simply saying, get to the end no matter what. You know, matter I've got to say that, actually. Method. I don't mind when it does... Um, well, you know, that makes it sound like I don't like all this, oh, power funds. Oh, no, all. no. Yeah, I love that stuff. Yeah, games yeah. can do it differently if they want to. And, like, and also, like, I think nice I've just... We've been spoiled in the past couple of years which games, with games that are subversive, you know, of, of making you feel powerful and then taking it away or manipulating that belief in interesting ways. And, I mean, actually, to be honest, it hasn't even been recent years. The game that first did that the best was probably Resi 4, you know? The reason that Resident Evil 4 remains one of the best games of all time was just because it had that perfect curve of every time you felt like a god, it kicked you in the face. And part of that was the adaptive difficulty. Mm. And part of that was just the way that the game was paced perfectly. Mm. Um, There's a a quote about about movies in the 80s, which was, I can't remember who it's by, but it's by uh, a famous critic, I think, which was films started as like an artistic medium and ended up in the hands of 14-year-old boys. So when all the big blockbusters in the 80s were coming out. I'm just wondering if it's going to be the other way around for video games. If it started in the hands of 14 year old boys, and you know, because it's you know, it's yeah. not all we're not going to suddenly overnight have these all action games will be gone. But because action was so easy, and now we, you know, not just now, but we're getting to a point where we are having more subversive experiences, and maybe we will get back in a little bit to what you were saying about um, Fallout 2. When the tech catches up, we'll have another age where you can have all these outcomes rather than just, yeah, you did this and then someone shot someone. And, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful for that because I'm not sure I can kill any more people. Well, I don't mind. I think it's just got to the point now where I, 
I think that the pretense has to walk a thin line. Like whenever you get a game that wants to be just like, is clearly just silly power fantasy, but mm. then tries to pretend it's something more, yeah. tries to shoehorn in like, oh, war is bad. Or, mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, like that's what death. I mean. Like, and it's like, yeah. fuck off. Like, choose us. Are you going to do this properly? Mm. Or are you just going to be dick out silly? Yeah, exactly. And I love dick out silly. Like the mm. ending yeah. of Singularity. Singularity is an FPS which was really shoddy in so many regards. But it had a fun story that I enjoyed. It was better than Lost. And it, and it was interesting and it gave you fun guns and it didn't overstay its welcome. But mm-hmm. it, it had a bit at the end of the game and it, the whole thing, it was a Raven game and it's a shame they don't really make them anymore because Raven just basically had a couple of games that critically were panned. But when you play them, they give you this feel. It's like playing an FPS again for the first time. It's like playing the first Duke Nukem. Mm-hmm. They somehow nailed that 90s FPS feeling. And it's just fun to run around and shoot people. And it's like, you look at it and objectively it's very bad. But though I loved is the ending of that game. It just basically went, yeah, you're a god now. Like you, it just it gave you like you got, had your super hand that could like lift things up, slow down time, create bubbles of frozen time, fill the bubble of time with bullets, and then unfreeze time so this wall of bullets smashes stuff mm. at once. Mm. Let's you do all this fun stuff, and then at the end it just goes, oh yeah, that that hand thing you've got, it's super powered, which means it doesn't run out of energy, and everything it does is three <laughs> times more effective. And it just lets you. It's like just be a god for a bit. Just it's a treat, you know. Mm. Rather than being like it's the end of a shooter, which means you've got to have a really hard bit where it's really hard to get forward. Because wait a minute, wait a minute, we need a sequel. Put put a cliffhanger in. Yeah, it's a it's a cutscene. Most really dead. Call of Duty games treat you with a cutscene, and Singularity treated you with a bit of exposition, but mainly it treated you with like ten minutes of silly fucking fun. Yeah, I think with um, you say about Raven, I think you're absolutely correct there. And I think one of the reasons for that 90s vibe is is because of the playful nature of it. When you were playing shooters in the 90s, you played them like I did. You had Doom, and Doom was amazing and revolutionary. But then Duke Nukem followed it, and you're like, I can get in cupboards. And that that (laughs) might seem like nothing to people who are playing games now. But for me, when I could hide in a cupboard in Deathmatch, was like, yeah, and you could throw the the hollow duke and they think it's them you jump out mm. behind them that's one of my all-time favorite kills in a shooter and i still think about it like occasionally like, yeah that was awesome <laughs> but they they were always building new stuff in because it was a frontier that hadn't been explored and but now we're kind of you know you know narrowing in the court because call of duty was so successful so i think you're absolutely right with singularity it was sent out to die by activision they were like i remember when it came in for uh preview everyone's like Oh, here's Singularity. This is going to be a load of old shit. I'm like, oh, actually, this is really good. And yeah, because you could do all those things like, you know, filling the orb with uh, with bullets and everything. So it was just really fun. Yeah. And it kept giving you silly weapons that were more fun. And it had like, you know, a bullet storm did it better, admittedly, but mm. it had a sniper rifle where you controlled the bullets. Mm. And like, you know, <laughs> it's just a fun thing to do. Like, why doesn't... You know, this is the problem. Is games kind of had there was a point at which I think it was post modern warfare. Unfortunately, mm. you know, did a lot of great things for the games, but yeah. also did a lot of bad things. Suddenly, it was like, oh no, weapons games have to be re- realistic. Yeah, weapons need to be realistic. Then they feel like real weapons mm. because otherwise it's not authentic. Mm. It's like fuck off. Like, I want every game to have a sniper rifle where you control the bullet. Yeah. <laughs> it's great fun. Yeah. There's the new Wolfenstein at the minute, which hasn't got a lot of attention at all. But from what the developers have been saying, they. That is basically their premise. No, nah, so I played it. It's not, is not very not? good. <laughs> I liked I liked Raven's Wolfenstein, and you know what? I'll probably hang for that one day. But uh, <laughs> Returns Castle Wolfenstein. No, the one, um, the the most recent one, the one that was like it was bad, but I liked it. It was um, just Wolfenstein, where it was just you against loads of evil demon Nazis, and you. It was rubbish, but kind of brilliant. 
in the fact that the weapons were just incredibly silly and some bits were incredibly shonky. But the last weapon in the game was just a cannon that fired <laughs> balls of energy that bounced around erratically at an alarming <laughs> yep. rate. You just go boom, boom, boom. And anything the balls touch just immediately turned into skeleton zap stuff. It's games. That's how it Video should be. Games. That's how it, should be. <laughs> yeah. it was rubbish, but I had fun. Anyway, what have you been playing, Steve? Max Payne 3. <laughs> yeah, I know that's. I don't know why that's funny. Okay, I'll tell you why I've been playing Max Payne Three. Is we have a shared press account at Video Gamer, so when new games for Steam pop in, we can grab them early and, and play them and do video and get in the review and everything. Um, but as it's shared, someone feel, might be on it a feel, lot. I feel like I know where uh, this is going. when they stay in the office till three in the morning. Ah, so I'm trying to get true. on and play Nidhug or whatever. And just, uh, I, I, just I feel says, that you just say the second half of the word really quickly and then you're fine. Nigga. Nigga. That's fine. Be careful. Careful. Yeah. Maybe not too quickly. Anyway, so uh, I couldn't get onto the press account. So I was like, okay, well, I've got Max Payne 3 in my press account because I need to kill 10 minutes, hopefully, until Bratters <laughs> is off. And Max Payne 3, I reviewed it. I think we talked about this before. I gave it like 77%. Uh, and yet I played through about three quarters of it. And it is massive for a shooter mm. over the last year. And I'm having a lot more fun. I turn it on for 10 minutes. I shoot people's eyes out. And I go, every time I skip the cutscenes. My days, like how many cutscenes are in that game of him <laughs> opening doors and talking about bollocks. But then you just skip him like, and I never come away dissatisfied. So yeah, that and nid, 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 nid. That's close enough. Um, yeah. So those games... And unfortunately, none of the games in the Steam library that I can't access because Bratters is hogging okay. it. You made buy your own game, right? hogging it. Yeah. I buy games for myself because I like to support people. I bought people. Max Payne 3. Well, not that one. Don't support Rockstar. They've got more money yeah, in the balls. Got, yeah, just money. stop sending the checks to those guys. <laughs> Do you want to split £4 each and get Nid Hook? <laughs> oh, God, I've made everyone really nervous about this. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't you, you Brat. It was the internet. <laughs> it's, yeah. no, it's knowledge that if you pronounce something wrong on the internet, they will find you. Yes. It's yeah. like the Ico Eco thing. Don't, don't go near it. Don't go no, near it. I say eco, but you know, I don't probably don't call people eco friendly. So, yeah, Max Payne 3, still 77%. A lot more fun when you don't have to review it in two days. Makes, makes sense. Mm. I've been playing um, Path of Exile. Path of Exile. And I'll probably make a video about it. Um, I think it's going to be more of a video feature. Um, thing because I've got a lot of things I want to say quite specifically in a specific order about it. Is it like Diablo but free to play? That's yeah. That's, that's well, pretty much the what thing I know. is, I kind of ignored it, and this is a bad thing to do. But I kind of ignored it because it was a free to play. And there's a tendency, basically, if a game hasn't hit my radar pre-release and it's free to play, by the time it's out, I kind of there's a part of me that thinks, well, if anyone if anyone wants to try it, they can try it. And also, it's the thing of you know. Otherwise, because obviously we do have access to, to get games for free through the publishers or Steam, we kind of think if there's something that might be good, we check it out and then we let you know whether or not it's worth spending mm. money on. But with this, it's like, well, if you want to know, you can find out for yourself. But having said that, you know, a few there is, people... There's a time um, investment involved though with this one, right? There I is. Guess well, that's, that's, the, that's the thing. I thought about it and I thought there's a time investment. You need to play a game like this for about four or five hours before you work out whether or not it's worth your time. And so I thought it'd be worth checking out. Also, because I'm a big fan of this sort of genre, I found Diablo 3 very disappointing for lots of reasons. And I thought, hell, a lot of people are saying to me on Twitter, Matt, have you checked this out? Can you check this out for a video? And I thought, all right, done. So anyway, I played it. And it's really good, but it's, it's not a game that you'd think is really good for a little while. And for the first <laughs> half an hour of playing it, I thought, this is pretty bollocks. Um, <laughs> just because 
it's not bad, but it's like visually, it's kind of not as nice as Diablo 3 mm-hmm. by a long way. It's just not smooth. The animations aren't quite as nice. And it just feels a bit dated and a bit wonky. And that's why I kind of thought, yeah, you know, this has got a lot of sevens, a lot of eights in reviews. I thought that's kind of fair. But then the more I played of it, I kind of thought, no, actually, that's not fair. Because what Path of Exile is, is it's the game that Diablo fans really wanted with Diablo 3 for lots of reasons. And I think that Diablo 3 was so well produced and so nice that I enjoyed it. But I think when I look back at why I enjoyed it, I maybe didn't enjoy it for reasons that are terribly good from a game perspective. I think it's, it's very good at making um, the feedback from stuff feel nice. The, the sound that it makes when you kill stuff, the explosion of blood. Aesthetically, it's just the feedback loops are really nice. But in terms of actually retaining your interest and keeping you uh, in that loop for good reasons, what Diablo 3 tends to do is constantly give you new skills or new tweaks to skills so that you always feel like something is new. I, I'm, not, yeah, I'm, I'm never sure how I feel about that. I, I, similar games, it's, I had the, uh, the same thing with Borderlands 2 actually. Like the, I, I'm enjoying it, but when I step back and look why I'm enjoying it, it kind of it, it's, it puts a sour taste in my mouth. It, it, I feel like the game's tricking me into having fun, which I think is Borderlands, a stupid thing to say. Because if what you, you are enjoying it, that, that, yeah. then fine, do it. But just the constant like, and here's a new weapon that sounds cool and looks looks mm. great. And I think Borderlands the numbers 2 it does. is different because... Um, I, sorry to interrupt. I, just, I, I think that I was getting to that point with Borderlands 2, and just after about 10 hours or 5 hours, I thought, hmm, it started to give me a really weird range of guns in Borderlands 2 that, that fired in very different ways. And I found that that kind of leveled it out of it being like, okay, well, it isn't just better numbers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a, a good variation in, in the types of weapons you get. And I think, to be honest, the co-op really saved that game in particular for me. But I, I'm just never sure with the, with the kind of loot grinding stuff. It, it, it always, I, I always find myself just thinking, are you really enjoying this? Like, you've been playing it for a long time now, Chris. Why are you having fun with yeah, it? And yeah. I can't always answer that straight away. But sometimes I find it should, weird. I'm, I'm not sure you should always be consciously questioning that. Mm. I think one of the most, one of the, not stupid, but one of the most interesting criticisms of a game is it's fun, but it shouldn't be. Well, yeah. you define your yeah, own yeah, fun. Oh, yeah, with exactly. That. And that, but that's, when it comes to the point, I mean, there have been games where I've played where I've been just to have that realization like, whoa, what the fuck am I this is terrible but it has something about it I think there's a difference between compulsive and fun Mm. that's the thing Mm. like yes because if something's genuinely fun then it's fine but I think often I think what you're getting at is that sometimes you're aware that you can't stop playing something and you're aware that you really want to keep playing it but you're questioning whether or not it's actually fun Assassin's Creed for me is the game that encapsulates that is that people love playing it but it's it succeeds despite the fact that a lot of its mechanics don't work in the ways you're, in which they're intended. You're very passive with Act- yeah. Assassin's Creed. You're, you're, you're simply existing in a world where you hold down two buttons and just move, and it does everything for you. But I, it has a great freedom of movement yeah. where you feel like you're actually doing something, even if technically you're not. Yeah. You're holding two buttons and you're not pressing loads to jump everywhere, but the game gives you just enough. Mm. So, See, I had the same moment like Brat did in Borderlands, I, and I had it with Tiny Tower as well, where I was playing the game for hours and hours and hours, and then suddenly I had this step back moment where I realised, what actually am I doing that's keeping me compelled to well, do Well, Tiny it? Tower, I think, is evil for cunts. Yeah. Um. yeah. <laughs> I did the thing where I was, I'm actually moving people up and down. In li- I'm a yeah. bellboy at the minute, and I'm not getting paid for it. I'm actually paying money. And to Tiny move Tower? People up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I did the same thing with Borderlands where I realised, I'm just going on fetch quests. I'm not even really present half the time that I'm doing this. I'm, 
I'm, it, it was the Bioshock, which I think kindly, Borderlands, I was passively yeah, doing it. Borderlands 1 was definitely worse for that. Borderlands 2, I thought, fixed a lot of that by mm. having... Um, I mean, the thing about Borderlands was it kind of only got away with it because headshots did more damage. Right. And it, made the, it meant that there was always that skill element of it was just increasing yeah, the bigger it wasn't and better numbers. bashing your head against the wall. was there was a skill, skill element. Yeah. Um, mm. And they, they improved upon that in Borderlands 2 by having not just headshots, having like skill shots almost of like, you need to wait for this moment and then shoot it here. Right. And also, like, I like the way that it, it tends to have like, as I say, in the later game, you had like shotguns that would have these weaving bullet patterns mm. and you start to have another skill level of there of, of actually estimating the distance to your enemy mm. so that you made sure that all of the bullets would home into the center of this weaving pattern Mm. at the point of hitting their head. Mm. And getting that right was really satisfying. And it's an actual mechanic, you know? Mm. But then also the thing of only being able to hold like three, uh, start two weapons, three weapons, four weapons, being able to balance your loadout so you could face whatever you were facing now. And Mm. you didn't have to actually change the weapons you were using for different sorts of enemies and different encounters. It, It kind of, it pulled it off better, but... I, that's, I mean, that's the general thing is with these games, I find myself dissecting why I'm enjoying yeah. it. With, with Diablo 3, it felt like every three or four levels for the first 40 levels, it would give you a new skill. Then after you got all the new skills, it would give you a modifier for a skill. So it kept giving you new things to try, which made you feel like... And, and to aim for as well. You always wanted to get to the next thing. I think the reason I, I may be a little bit distrustful of, of that idea is just after spending a lot of time with World of Warcraft, um, a lot of yeah. people went through the MMO thing of like, you know, if you get to the next level, look at this cool talent you unlock. And yet the actual progress of getting there, the journey to get to that level might not be Well, that be very that exciting. Fun. And, and so, yeah, it's a weird, it is a weird mindset. And maybe there is a point to be made to don't question it too much if you are enjoying it. But I just, I can't help it. Anyway, no, I can't help it either, but that's why I like... And, but then the thing is, I re, I, the thing I find frustrating is I don't, I don't think Diablo 2 was like that. When I was playing Diablo 3, I kind of felt like I was enjoying myself, but I was enjoying myself in a very clinical way. I felt like it was just I was part of a loop where I was being fed things at a certain rate to mm. keep me interested and keep me having fun. And also I felt like it was kind of frustrating in the fact that when you really stopped having that, you realised that Diablo 3 was very easy. It got harder later. And lots of people say, it isn't easy when you play it on Inferno. No, it isn't. But to do that, you've got to complete it on yeah. three difficulties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it felt like the end game was kind of broken by the economy system of the auction house. But the bit just before the end game, end game, where it was kind of fun and challenging and had stuff like projectiles to dodge. Yeah, was, that was the game. But you kind of felt like the first few difficulties, even when you fight like the big bossy monsters that have like increased speed, it just felt like they were enemies that had more health. You didn't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where it's kind of fun playing Path of Exile. I've just killed an, a boss that was doing shitloads of ice attacks. And the first time I fought, I got wasted. And it's like, oh my god, this is a boss fight where I actually have to equip um, items that give me a resistance to ice damage. <laughs> where Man. usually that's just... when you start to do that. Yeah, like now it's <laughs> yeah. just like, well, that's something you do when you play on the hardest difficulties. Mm. You don't need to do that. So it does stuff like that. It introduces new concepts gradually, but without tutorials. It just gives you a new type of thing that you can do. And you're like, ah... Oh, and lets you play with it. And also, just the way that it does things with loot in a more interesting way. It doesn't have any money in the game. So yeah. you don't buy and sell stuff. It's any magical items you have that you don't want. You sell to a vendor and you get fragments of things that, that then combine when you've got 20 of them. They let you, say, make a magical item that better or like make a non-magical item magical. But right. then it has this awesome... like The thing that I've just got to and I've just kind of got the game, which is after about six, seven hours, is... You have these slots on the items as well that you can put gems in. You can remove the gems at any point, which means they're not like 
a decision. It's not like, I'll keep my best gems, so I use See, them that, something good. Okay. Because I used to just hoard gems. The fact that I, I know it's free them. to blame, I'm very surprised to know that you can remove those kind of things. I'll get to that okay. in a minute, um, because the free to play thing is the oddest thing about the game. But you can like remove the gems, and the gems level up, right? <laughs> so when you use the gems or have them in your equipment, they will level up and get better. Um, but then you have, like, on equipment, you have gems um, that are linked together, right? So... Right. It's not just having equipment with gem slots. Sometimes you'll have different colors of slots that are linked. And then you get modifier gems. So it's like, it's a bit like Final Fantasy VII, where it's like, if this is linked to this skill, then this skill will be imbued with like fire damage or something else. Mm. So, but then it becomes this thing of like, you know how the problem I have with it is Diablo 3's loot system is so simple. There's only like, you, you, either it's better than what you've got, it's good for another character you've got, mm-hmm. and you might keep it. Or it's junk. Yep. And that's simple, it's that. Whereas in this, it's like sometimes you'll find a really good magical item, but it'll have rubbish slots, and you'll be like, oh, well, I'll use it for a bit anyway. Sometimes you'll find a really plain item that has got the perfect slots, and you go, oh my god, I can combine this gem with this gem, and suddenly I'll be way more powerful. But then because of the lack of the economy, and because of the economy is all about magical items, it's like, well, I can invest all of my orbs I've got from getting rid of this junk to making this a magical item. Right, and I, I had a situation okay, so, where I found some plain gloves that had two link green slots. And I was like, oh, I can make my reave ability have 20 plus 5% damage. And then I was like, I've got an orb of chance, which basically means I use that and it will turn a normal item into a random rarity item. I used it and it was a made a gold one. And it was just like, I was literally so happy. I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, I've just created. Like, and instead of finding, because obviously a lot of games have crafting systems, but in Diablo 3, like, you had to do so much crafting to be able to make good stuff. And it always seemed like, with this, it was like, I've just basically yeah, kind you, of... You I made decided them. to do that. It was your yeah, choice. Yeah, I made them. And I don't know, just the way that the loot system works of, of having not just you looking for that kind of shiny glint, of that ding, oh, oh, there's something good. Oh, it's not any good. It means that you actually, when you open a big chest, you look more carefully at what's there. And the process of finding treasure becomes fun again. Mm. It doesn't just become a grind of being like, oh, I didn't get anything good. It's like, mm. sometimes you look through and you go, ooh, maybe I can do something with this. And you can create your own items. Yeah, Bioshock Infinite really suffered with that, where you'd open chests and go, hey, 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 just take everything. You just wouldn't yeah. even look. Whatever, yeah. yeah. Some, some coins, a bit of bread, whatever, off we go, keep on going. <laughs> yeah. You never felt like, and again, this is why... Resident Evil, the original game, is one of my favourite games is because every moment you went round at a corner that you hadn't been around before, anything could have been in there, an enemy, a new gun, anything. And that really, it drove the adventure because you always had to be thinking, conserve your ammo, but what if I get a new gun? And there's a lot of strategy involved in a game which really was about shooting things dead. Well, even the simple shit in this, like when you are getting to like a big treasure room, you'll see patches of gold, shiny gold on the floor nearby. And when you get there they're always on these massive pedestals covered with gold with this giant golden chest. It's like, it's not just like, oh, here's a good chest. It's like, I found some treasure. <laughs> it, it just nails like so much of what I think uh, Blizzard lost with Diablo 3 because they were focusing too much on the science of it and on literally like the, the science of, of feedback loops and making things mm-hmm. feel nice. Mm. And that works. It makes you feel nice, but there's something a bit clinical about it sometimes. Mm. Whereas this tries to focus more on like, uh, getting the feel of it rather than the science but i don't know i think it's it's kind of it's slightly complex but there's really nice things like the way that the skill tree is all passive stuff so the skill tree is just this massive tree and you can go in any direction and that just gives you like slight kind of dull boosts of like you know improves your ability with dual wielding if you want to gives you more strength gives you all that stuff so you can sort of spec the sort of character you want but you can still go off in any direction and really make any kind of character you want whereas actual skills 
are all on gems that you find. So, oh, right, okay. So it means that you can basically transfer skills between characters, you can make whatever kind of character you want. And it's really interesting because especially in Diablo, when it was like you could only use two skills at any time, have them equipped. In this, you've got all the mouse buttons and then also like Q-W-E-R-T. You can basically like have as many skills you can use up as to like eight fingers. skills like, as long as you've got <laughs> fingers you can bind skills to almost anything like reasonably and it means as long as you've got equipment slots to have them all equipped you can do whatever you want like it it even does really cool this is dumb but it does cool stuff like if you have a, a gem equipped and you manually say this is my Q ability and then you take that gem out of your equipment and put something else in it will fill the Q slot but then as soon as you put that gem back in something it will put it back okay, for you yeah. it'll be like mm. it will remember what you want things to be and I don't know, I've just got to the point where I've got a character who can like, I can do a blink strike like Dishonored, I can just teleport behind an enemy and start stabbing it in the back. I've got like a cleave ability that increasingly has this shockwave the more times I use it in a row. I've got ice spells. It's like, this is cool. Like, it's really interesting. A lot of games in that genre. I remember when um, Torchlight 2 was coming out and did, was Torchlight 2 ended up being after Diablo 3 or not? I can't remember. But either way, like they, they were hoping to be before Diablo 3 so they could yeah. make sure they, they get that market before everyone uh, has their fill with Diablo. The, Path, the XL, Path of the XL or XL? Path, uh, of XL. Path of XL. Sounds yeah. like it's, it's benefiting from the fact that you have played Diablo 3 and you kind of you were a little bit tired of, of what it did well, and so it doing new things like, is... They're, they're so different. Torchlight and this are so different because Torchlight's approach is to completely get rid of all the complex stuff that mm. doesn't need to be there and just make it simple. Like the fact that you can send a courier back to town to sell your loot for you and then come back. Yeah. Or the fact that, you know, it just completely trims it down. Whereas in this, it has, it brings back the old inventory grid of like if you've run out of space, you have to actually physically move things around to make room for items. And... A couple of years ago, I would have said that that's a step backwards, having, you know, lots of games remove that. But actually, it's kind of nice to have it back. Yeah. I like it. It's like a little, a little game. It breaks it up. You go, oh, I'm going to spend a, 10 seconds moving this around, doing a little puzzle. There's something about it that's satisfying. So it's like in the way that Torchlight tried to remove all of the fluff that gets in the way of things in Diablo, this kind of retains a lot of that, but goes into more depth and makes it a lot more interesting. But I like the way that the skills and stuff are attached to random items you find. Like I just found a new kind of attack that I might try. Um, and I like that it's not that classic thing of thinking, oh, if I get to level 17, I get this ability. Yeah. It's the fact that the abilities you get are random almost to a degree, and you just find something that you can use, and then you let the abilities dictate the items you use. And yeah, that sounds awesome. It doesn't feel like you have a path that you see, you know? I don't know. I know what kind of build I'm going for now because I've got an item that I can use with this and this, and if I get my intelligence up by 10, I can use all this stuff, and I'll suddenly be a god. But I, I couldn't tell you where I'm going to be in three levels. Like, I'll probably find something else and it might dictate an entirely new idea. All of this stuff will probably sound mentally boring unless you're a fan of this yeah. kind of game. But um, yeah, like I say, I'll, I'll make a video of it in the next couple of days um, in a bit more detail. But so, if you've been putting it off I because guess, it looks ropey, then I'd, I'd recommend otherwise because it's really cool. Well, you, you said it was weird, but quickly just to round it up, oh, yes. stuff, how, how does that work? Is it you buy the orbs maybe? This or? is my biggest problem with Path of Exile is that it it doesn't have the balls to ask you for money. Um, it's bizarre. It, it, it is not pay to win in any degree. There's nothing in it that is you can buy. Like, you can't buy, like, some extra orbs to make magical items better or something. There's nothing like that. There is loads of stuff you can buy, but it's all aesthetics. Man. But the thing is, it's all expensive. Like, yeah. it's kind of like... 15 quid for now, like... We, 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 we've talked about this plenty of times and, and that works so well in, in Dota and League of Legends because it's a multiplayer game and you, you want to show off your new skin to your friends or whatever, but in a single-player game, I, 
I wonder if there's enough of an incentive. Well, I don't know because it's odd. The way it works is it means you can buy like a fiery weapon, right? Which makes your weapon look like it's on fire. But then you have to also buy transfers so you can like take them off that weapon and put it on another weapon. Right. So this like, like because you're changing your equipment, it means oh. that it's bound to that equipment. But then and it's, the things to remove and add it to another thing are cheap. But it's like still that's even, I don't, even if it was ten pence, it would annoy me. I, like, that's, that's the that's thing a, is it's also it's kind of like the aesthetic stuff for the characters don't quite work in my head because you're changing what you look like all the time. But then also you've got this thing of like you know the couriers are quite cool, like having like not couriers, I've played too much Dota, the little familiars. You can mm. have little creatures that follow you around, and there's all sorts of things like HUD skins. There's like loads of imaginative stuff you can do, but it's like it's just maybe a bit too generous to yeah, begin it's, with it's a weird argument isn't it because that's, that's great for players if players don't need to, to spend money but it's a free play game you don't need to pay they, any money for which I is mean, mad if you like Path of Exile you likely want them to continue, continue yeah, yeah. supporting it and or make more games how do they well this they is the thing enough money for you know it? you even start off with like you'd think an obvious one would be buying more slots in your kind of stash where you can keep items to trade between your characters yeah but yeah, you have that, four that sounds... tabs to begin with it's like it's <laughs> kind of it's really generous in terms of what you get for free. It doesn't unlo- it doesn't have any of the character types that you have to pay and for. And this is a really new conversation, isn't it, for it's, this podcast? I know, I know, I know. It's, no, no, it's a, it's a very valid one to have. I know it, it sounds odd, but... I find it frustrating because it, be a balance it was like... The... the way it did with Card Hunter, which is still my go-to for the, the best model I've seen, was that I played it for about five hours and then it went, hey, look, do you want to give us $15 and we'll give you this stuff? And I was like, yes, I do. Whereas in this, it's almost like the shop of stuff in Path of Exile is so much stuff there, I don't know what to look for. Mm. I kind of wish there was just a button say, give us some money. Like, that obvious thing, like, I remember when I played Jetpack Joyride, which was like a free-to-play um, iOS game, I think. Or it was really cheap, anyway. Uh, I think I got it for free. But it was a thing that was like coin doubler, so which meant you got twice as many coins. And it was like 70p. I'm like, yeah, I love this game. I'm going to give you 70p. And I kind of feel like what Path of Exile is, is lacking is a button you can press to just give them money. Because mm. it's like, I really like it, but because of so many of the items are like 30 quid, because they're really steep for this stuff, it is kind of looks like they're really going for hardcore fans spending a lot on it. And it's like, I'd like to give you a tenner. Like, yeah. like, I'm not sure for a free-to-play game I'm comfortable in one lump like coughing up 30 quid. Yeah. But if there was a way I could just like, buy something cool that was a tenner, I'd do that. Um, so I don't know, maybe it's, I'm being cheap because, uh, you know, maybe it's like, if I really like it, I should just pay them 30 quid. But that is a, that is a great problem to have though. We're a company, (laughs) everyone wants to give them money, but they're not doing it right. They simply are asking for too much. I don't think, I'm not sure it is great though, is it? I mean, I worry for it. I worry for it. It's clearly the fact that they've, it is good of the company to offer so much to gamers in a free to play model, but clearly they've, they've gone too far in the sense of, that there's too much of a scope between what's free and what's being paid for, and their price model just. Needs I think to... their model is too exclusive to hardcore fans. Yeah, I yeah. think they've made actually a really hardcore game, mm. um, and I really like it and I really appreciate that. But I guess that really it means that they're they're aiming, they're hoping that the game will be supported over the years by the players who do make like six characters and do level them all up and do do the end game and mm. do do the PvP and and are willing to keep spending money on it. Mm. And I think that hope, I really hope that's enough. But I think it's a bit of a shame that they don't have options there for the people like me yeah. who just go, I've played this for eight hours and I've had a great time and I'd like to give you some money for that because you haven't even asked me for any money. And, and it's I just feel, feeling a bit awkward I now. feel like I've just, <laughs> I've just been in your house eating your food and like, I'd just like to put you a tenner on the side and say thanks for having me. Yeah. 
which is an odd problem to have when I'm complaining that a free-to-play game isn't asking me for money. But hey, here we are, 2014, weird yeah. times. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was a bit of a, a ramble there, but um, has anyone got any other games you want to talk about or should we jump to the questions? I haven't played much this week at all. Played much. No. You want to play some Nidhug? That's what you want to you do. Nidhug. 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 I will once I can say it. All right, let's do some questions. Okay then, we are taking Luke. We've got... Um, Actually, we got really one really good question from the forum, but I'll come to that at the end. Uh, from Twitter Thirst, we've got, Is Miller Instinct coming back? asked Ross McMahon. Yes, it is, but I mean, Simon's not in the podcast room, so it doesn't quite work. Not today. Um, so not today, not but today, yes. But it is coming back, yeah. Um, Sorry, that was my fault. I just forgot to do it. Um. <laughs> uh, Casper Dahl asks, uh, What's your take on the functionality and purpose of Steam Boxes? It's a big question, isn't it? Uh, do you think they're actually useful or the a step towards competing with I think Microsoft that's a big Sony? question for next week, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I just, I think, um, I, I watched an interview with um, the, one of the guys from Vlambia recently and he basically described, I thought it was quite cool, he described the Steam boxes as Steam's way, or Valve's way of trying to make sure that PC gamers who want to play in the living room have an option rather than trying to get people who have a PlayStation or an Xbox trying to take them away from that. And I, I think, think that, that, that is... That, that makes sense to me. I don't think people who've already bought an Xbox One are thinking, oh, screw this, I'm going to get a Steam box instead. I don't think it's moment. even that yet. I think the simplest way to look at it is it is Valve's first step in trying to pitch to publishers and tech companies that Linux is a viable platform for the future. Yeah, of course. I think it's that simple. I don't think they're really expecting to sell many of them. I think that they're just... For a long time, uh, Gabby, Gabe has been um, really vocal about the fact that he doesn't like Windows, yeah. he doesn't like the way Windows is going. Steam is obviously primarily running on Windows. All the mm. games are made for Windows. Hard, it's like a tiny percent of games come out on Linux at the moment. I think they're having a, um, a behind-closed-doors, no-press-invited conference, I think, really soon. It's tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow, yeah. And I think, basically, they're going to be saying to developers making games for like the next two years, make it work on Linux, here's why. And I think they're hopefully going to convince them because at the moment, the Steam box is just a crap proposition. I wonder how, how much information is going to come out of that, because it's, it is behind closed doors, but it's a bunch of developers from all sorts, like big and small. I wonder how much Stuff we'll end up leak, up yeah. I hope so. Yeah. I think it <laughs> is going to be like a pitch, though. I think it's going to be basically going, listen, these boxes are going to be out there. We're going to sell a few. We're not going to sell many. They, they definitely won't sell many. I mean, when... Do you remember when the Xbox One, the price was announced, went, that's expensive, isn't it? And then Steam box come out and go, six grand, Really? Are we going to, you know, because they're not well, the top very, end. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's exactly. very, very impressive. When I looked at the pricing, of all the ones that have been announced, none were cheap or price equivalent of consoles. So that, the original idea that they were trying to step in on the console market clearly isn't there. Like you say, it's no. for... Well, not yet. For, no, not yet. It's, it's for those, like you say, those PCs. It's a proof of concept, essentially. Yeah. It's the first, you know, it's testing the water. I suppose it's, it's like the, the, the Oculus in a way, in the same way that yeah. it's not really there. It's just... I think it's funny, though, because I think that there, there's an element, um, especially, you know, I think, I think we're all guilty of this because of the fact that the console makers in the past couple of years have just been such pricks in many regards <laughs> about everything um there was you know everybody kind of wanted steam to be the heroes yeah. mm. and to dive in and save the day and be the the guy that completely shakes the market up overnight and changes everything but you know heroes get killed yeah and that's that, <laughs> so that's also a scary prospect in itself like i, I don't want valve to own the entire gaming landscape i, I like i like that they, the steam works really nicely for me at the moment but i mean companies change their minds don't they and well that's the thing steam will uh, valve will probably one day be the evil yeah guys. exactly They'll, they will turn into the Darth Vader's at some point like mm. yeah it will happen but um 
Hopefully not for a while. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, Harry, I can't pronounce your second name if that is your second name. Is it Nidhogg? Do you think Titanfall and EverQuest next are going to change their respective genres for the better? I think yes. I think, that's a, I think they're, they're trying new things and that's always a good thing. I'm not sure EverQuest next is going to... Is that going to work or not? I don't know, but it's trying something new with MMORPGs mm. and that's all right by me, I think. Uh, it's, it's going to be better than The Elder Scrolls Online. Uh, <laughs> what else we got? Hey man, don't diss The Elder Scrolls Online. I've got some friends. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know anyone who likes it. Uh, and yeah, well, last question from Twitter from Mark Key says, where did all the games go? Damn genuinely new console limbo. Well, we already discussed this, Mark. Have you been mm. listening to the podcast? You've made a bad call. Ooh. Shouldn't have bought next gen console yet. I'm going to buy a PS4, sure. But not yet. I'm not mad. Yeah, yeah, same. I, I'm quite happy to play um, uh, the Banner Saga instead. Yeah, if you're, if you're sitting around going, God, where are all the good games? Then like, seriously, like, consider saving up some pennies and getting a basic PC. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, and the final question from the forum is, uh, this is with Matt leaving in the near future. God damn it, Matt. Um, is it? I've got a few more weeks yet. Slayer114 asks, <laughs> uh, video gamer is often critical of mainstream gamer culture, such as the whole thing where you got banned on YouTube. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, <laughs> do you think getting a female... What? Yeah, it's fine. I, I get where he's coming from. Um, do you think getting a female voice in the office would be good for your company? And that, that I think this has been brought up in, in the... The kind of we did a video to announce that we're after a new mm-hmm. uh, video person actually, and you know we're we are a bunch of white male guys in an office together. There isn't there isn't a lot of diversity there, but that is reflective of the industry. Like we well we're, yeah, we're, there's of course a female voice. Mm-hmm. Would video be game has been quite good at that though. I mean they, they hired um, Emily Guerra. Yeah, and she was fucking brilliant. And still yeah. is. Um, um, Polygon now, right? Fortunately, yeah. got onto better things, but you know she was she's great. I think well, yeah, with regards to the ethnic makeup or gender of the office it generally is obviously loads of people would have been seen and interviewed and it's just who fits best and who does what but mate you never know who's gonna work really well emily of course was in before doing the mmo stuff and she was amazing at yeah, it yeah so, of course and at the end of the day we the, did, i mean obviously with your job brat i talked to, <laughs> talk to quite, quite a few girls about about your role Obviously, none of them would suck me off, and you would, <laughs> and you no. would. See, that was a sexist no. joke, but it wasn't. It was only nice. for the setup of, of Brat as <laughs> sucking yeah. my dick. Okay. I'm glad, need to, I'm I'm glad need to uh, make it clear <laughs> that 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 would not have been funny if not for the fact that the joke ended with the joke that Brat was yes. sucking me off. Cool, making I, jokes about women doing sex acts on you I, for no other reason isn't funny. You're you're making fun of the idea of sexism. I am. I'm I'm uh, subverting it okay. somehow. That, that's that, that's all right. Um, uh, but no, I think it's it's all about the. Uh, yeah, obviously, I've got nothing to do with the hiring process, but I have absolute no, faith. But in that, the industry uh, as a whole, I think it is is an issue. But in the end of the day, for for the video role or any role, it, we want someone that's good. Like it, it doesn't really yeah matter what gender or or uh, race they are. It, it 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 doesn't come down to that. It is a shame that there aren't many. There are a lot of you know. Well, there are, there's there, there are fewer. across the board. Yeah, there, yeah. There's less diversity in the industry. Um, there are fewer people trying to get into it, women, um, yeah. which is a great shame. Um, I think it's difficult. It's always difficult for lots of reasons, but I think, yeah, I think video gamer have always been really good at that. And obviously, we, you know, yeah, I'm sure it will continue to be that case. It is a shame. And I think it's also a shame, actually, that a lot of the time, um, I know from experience of having talked to people, I've got a lot of friends in the industry who are women and... I know that a lot of the time when people are introduced and ha- go to have interviews and yeah, stuff, it, it, it's this thing of like a lot of the big companies would be like, oh, we've got this girl coming in to interview for like a writer's job or something. And the first thing they do is start setting up the cameras and go, we've got to do a screen test because there is 
still a gamer culture of being like, get a pretty girl on camera, people love it. And you mm. look at any of the big channels, the thing that you always get in all the big news thing is having a weekly show where a pretty girl reads out gaming news. You go to any big gaming network or any of any kind, you will have a show which is pretty girl reads out news. And... I think it's difficult, and it must be difficult to be a girl trying to get a foothold in the industry when, even when you turn up for writing jobs, they yeah. want you to, to want to see how pretty you look There's on some camera, kind of, which yeah, is pretty there. fucked up. It's, yeah, it um, is. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, a tough one. Yeah, I just, I just don't want people to think that, you know, there's any kind of intention there. It's some, oh, no, no. It, it sucks, but... That's, I mean, that's I think the, the, the general, there, there is a massive problem with the fact that the vast majority of people talking about games and voices talking about games in a professional capacity are white, middle-class men. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just, I think, because the vast number of applicants for these things are white, middle-class men, yeah. and it's difficult to... Yeah, it becomes a numbers game, and it does become a thing of there is always going to... In that scenario, there's always going to be a higher chance that the person who's going to be the best for the job will be one of the highest proportions. Yeah, of course it is. Until you get into the scheme of actually giving people jobs specifically to kind of balance that out, which I think there is a case for if people are good enough but sometimes it's difficult um, because if you've got somebody that's really, really fucking good, um, then it's tempting to go for them. Of course it is, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just thought it'd be nice to address that because there have been a couple of comments and it's something worth talking about. But yeah, that is pretty bloody complex for questions. It yeah. bloody is, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah, actually, before we wrap up the podcast as a whole, let's move on to something fun and exciting and not too complex, hopefully. Uh, next competition for the podcast, if you'd like to win a video game, then... We need a competition. I'm going to say, because there's not many next-gen games for consoles at the moment, someone, you should, it doesn't matter about quality at all, find us a next-gen video game. Make one, pitch one, draw one, make a video, make a game, make a next-gen video game, anything. Can I pitch uh, mine? For the competition? Yeah. Or, yeah, sure. No, yeah, Go I ahead. had this game called The Killinator. The Killinator, and, I um, like it. When I used to work on magazines, and I think, Matt, you'll know about this, you do have to do, in some magazines, you have to do previews, roundups. Where to fill some pages, you'd have to hit a double page spread. Yeah, with, yeah, lots of little boxes. Yeah, of like maybe 20 or so games with 10, 15, 20 words underneath Jaded explaining. Magazine. They're actually the most fun <laughs> yeah, things. Yeah, they are to the do. most. Oh, really? Because you can just spend 20 words just. Sometimes you wouldn't even talk about the game, you'd just make jokes. Yeah. Like completely just ignore. You wouldn't even look up what the game was about. Just, be like, <laughs> just go by the title and just write just to hell I, yeah. for years was the go to. But I decided to make my own one up and see if anyone would notice. And it was called The, the Killinator. <laughs> so I slid it in, gave it a blurb that sounded a lot like a game. And uh, then I had to have a meeting <laughs> regarding uh, lying about video games to our readers. So I'm going to make The Killinator now. Okay. And then, yeah, and that justifies your original. I was always tempted to just make something up. I never did it, but I was always tempted, especially on my last issue of OXM, because I was putting in my last chance to do it, would be just to go to a, an exclusive preview, like a world exclusive preview. <laughs> And then come back and write like a six page feature about this brand new recently announced game and just make everything up. <laughs> just fabricate it. Just have all the box outs going into great detail about a game that I just invented in my mind. And just have it being like use the same screenshots, but just completely make up everything else. Make up an interview with a developer, preferably a developer that doesn't even exist with a picture that isn't anyone at their studio. And then just hand that in because you could do that. And it would go to print and you'd get into so much trouble. <laughs> but the idea of it, and this is mainly because I just, more than anything, enjoy causing trouble. Um, I think that would be so much fun. All right, cool. So be very sceptical of any previews <laughs> Matt, Matt writes before leaving <laughs> Video Gamer. I'm going to write you a cool exclusive preview. <laughs> All right. But yeah, if you uh, want to enter the competition, there'll be a link to the Video Gamer forums and 
we'll describe what, what should be done there. But yeah, when a free video game, get in a gallery video with Silly Voices, it's all good fun. It is all good fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so do enter the competition because you can win a free game. I mean, what's better than free games, really? Free cream eggs. Yeah, but just, just mm. also, just as a final note, to just keep you guys reassured about kind of an equal opportunities employer, we did hire Brad because he was a child. Mm-hmm. So yep. just, uh, you know. <laughs> Thanks for that. Don't worry about we, these things. We appreciate we it. Do, that's two do, digs now. We do take these things into account. Anyway, um, that's it for me. Um, I've got three more podcasts, I think. How many po- I'm not counting. I'm not clock watching. I've got like three more. Two more podcasts? Three more podcasts? Two? I'm not sure. I Suck it up, Brett mothers. Man. Enjoy, fill your boots. Yeah, I'm counting. Oh, <laughs> sad TikTok, big guy. TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I'm digging my own grave. Anyway, thanks very much for listening. I've been joined by Chris Brandt. Goodbye. Brett. Bye. And Steve. Bye. Bye. Bye.